You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15 from the Common English Bible. Brothers and sisters, we want to let you know about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. While they were being tested by many problems, their extra amount of happiness and their extreme poverty resulted in a surplus of rich generosity. I assure you that they gave what they could afford, and even more than they could afford, and they did it voluntarily. They urgently begged us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the saints. They even exceeded our expectations because they gave themselves to the Lord first and to us, consistent with God's will. As a result, we challenged Titus to finish this work of grace with you the way he had started it. Be the best in this work of grace in the same way that you are the best in everything, such as faith, speech, knowledge, total commitment, and the love we inspired in you. I'm not giving an order, but by mentioning the commitment of others, I'm trying to prove the authenticity of your love also. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that you could become rich through his poverty. I'm giving you my opinion about this. It's to your advantage to do this since you not only started to do it last year, but you wanted to do it too. Now finish the job as well so that you finish it with as much enthusiasm as you started, given what you can afford. A gift is appreciated because of what a person can afford, not because of what that person can't afford if it's apparent that it's done willingly. It isn't that we want others to have financial ease and you financial difficulties, but it's a matter of equality. At the present moment, your surplus can fill their deficit so that in the future, their surplus can fill your deficit. In this way, there is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered more didn't have too much, and the one who gathered less didn't have too little. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sharon, thank you for reading our scripture lesson today. So imagine, if you will, a church divided by theological disagreement. On one side, leaders claim they're following Jesus by emphasizing orthodoxy and aligning with tradition. On the other side, leaders claim they're following Jesus by emphasizing the incredible power of grace and proclaiming good news to all people, the good news of Jesus Christ that does not require conformity to all of the old traditions. How might this disagreement be solved? Well, they start with a conference between the leadership 
And at this conference, they determine how they can move forward to prove that they really do worship the same God. This is how we find ourselves with the Apostle Paul in the year 50 CE. At the Council of Jerusalem, the Apostles Paul and Barnabas on one side meet with the Apostles Peter and James on the other. They have gathered to try to settle the debate that if Gentiles convert to Christianity, do they need to follow the ancient Jewish practice of circumcision in order to be a faithful follower of Christ? This question of uniformity of practice between the Jewish followers of Christ who were in Jerusalem and the Gentile converts in the churches that Paul planted in places like Macedonia and Greece, it was a source of great conflict in the early church. So this gathering at the Council of Jerusalem, a group of elders said they would compromise on certain secondary issues in order to maintain peace and unity in the church, in order to prove that the God that they worshipped was indeed the same God, Paul determines he will set out to collect money from those who are in the Gentile churches in Macedonia and also the Gentile churches in Greece so that they could send money to support the poor who were in Jerusalem. You see, that early church in Jerusalem, they held everything in common. They sold all that they had when they joined the church to support others, and now they were poor in that time. But the churches in Macedonia and the churches in Corinth, they had money and they could support the other churches. Paul believed that this was one way to prove that they were indeed one church of unified believers. Paul's letter to his church that he planted, talked about this collection of funds for the poor in Jerusalem more than once. He wrote about it in his letter to the church in Galatia, and today we have heard about it in his letter to the church at Corinth. This particular Greek city had a negative reputation. The people in Corinth were mean and selfish. There were all sorts of religions, lots of temple prostitution, and all of the worst of big city life in Corinth. Across the entire Roman Empire, but especially here in Corinth, people were exhausting themselves to get rich. And in doing so, they were causing harm both to themselves through overwork, through the environment and the way they were working, and also against other people who they often held in bondage. But even here in this city, there was a church, a young church, a church filled with those who desired to worship God, to become disciples of Jesus. And here Paul is writing to them. Now, St. Paul was very suspicious of money itself because he often saw the conflict between loving money and loving God. Money itself wasn't the problem, but it was where our hearts were pointed. And so he often taught that if you were to love money, that would put you in conflict with loving God. He believed that our ambition as humans should be to love God above all else. And money was often in conflict with that. 
And so here he writes to this church at Corinth to remind them of the pledge they made to support the poor in Jerusalem, to worship God, and to extend their love of God by supporting those who were poor and hungry. Paul plans to travel to Macedonia to gather the funds from that church, and then he plans to stop in Corinth to collect the funds from that church. But there's a problem. The people in Corinth have stopped giving to the fund. The Christians at Corinth began off with a great exuberance to give to those who were poor in Jerusalem, but now they're weighed down, perhaps by the disagreements that were discussed earlier in this letter. Paul reminds them how well they started off, and he encourages them to finish their good work. In verse 7, he wrote, Be the best in this work of grace, in the same way that you are the best in everything, such as faith, speech, knowledge, total commitment, and the love we inspired in you. So by encouraging them to finish their good work, he is trying to remind them of the unity that will come when they support those who are poor in Jerusalem. His appeal was not just about the money. His appeal was about motivating them to put love into action and love not just for those who were around them, for indeed there were poor people in Corinth, but to put love into action to prove that the church was united, to help heal the schism that had come between the two groups who were followers from the Jewish tradition who came to know Jesus and followers from various Gentile traditions who came to know Jesus. That was why this was so important to Paul. He felt that if this gift could be given and then the gift could be received, that it would help to heal this division. Paul went so far as to actually work with the people in Corinth to make tents so that they could earn money, so that they would actually have money to give away. For Paul, giving money away is an action of faith that is all about love in action. And so as he writes this letter to them a year after they began collecting money, he writes not to scold them, but to lift up a joyful vision of God's abundant love and an invitation to find freedom in generosity. Because for Paul, being generous with money is not about pushing or shaming people into right action, but it is about encouraging people to live a Christ-shaped life. You can see this in how he appeals to the very heart of the Christian faith in verse 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes Christ became poor. For Paul, the cross represents a total emptying out of the riches of Jesus' wealth and his position as God's beloved. He allows all of his power to flow out from the cross in order to save the world, Jew and Gentile alike. The grace 
that is extended from the cross is what guides Paul in his writing. To say that Jesus gave it all for them. For Paul, God's economy is not a zero sum. In God's economy, this pattern of self-offering results in a multiplication of grace for the world. This is the theology of the cross in economic language. And it leads not to human privilege to amass wealth, but it leads to Christian freedom to put the well-being of neighbors ahead of our own interests. And if the church is the body of Christ, then we who are in the church are invited to live this same self-giving life that Christ led. And therefore, generosity is an expression of love. And so we join with God who is already abundantly loving this world And we also love this world through our own generosity. And Paul wants the Corinthians to bring their actions in line with what they believe the gospel to be. He reminds them, now as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in utmost earnestness and in our love for you, So we want you to excel in this generous undertaking. He writes because he wants them to participate in God's abundance of love and grace. Paul's motive is about inviting them into unity of love. It's by embracing giving as an action to support the church that he sees a way to heal the division. Now, today, we're accustomed to appeals from many different places, from churches and nonprofits and other people doing work in this world that is good. But we miss that in Paul's day, to have an appeal to give was a little different. You see, there was power exchanged. Altruism was not a motive for charity in antiquity. Rather, the exchange of power and social status was often the motivator. You see, gifts would be given so that the giver would get attention, that they would be put into a position of power. The recipient would be obligated to publicly honor their benefactor, and they would have to demonstrate loyalty to their patron. So to give a gift was to assert power, and to give a gift was not just altruistic. But Paul is writing to this church at Corinth to upend this understanding of giving. When he writes to them of fairness, when he writes to them by saying, today the church in Jerusalem has a need and you can give, and someday in the future you may have a need and the church in Jerusalem could give you, he is talking about a balance of people, not social hierarchy of the day. He is also reminding them way back in Exodus when God supplied manna in the desert. It's a subtle little thing you might miss when you listen, but when he talks about those who gathered, he is talking about those who gathered manna. And he talked about those who gathered a lot, gathered only what they needed. And those who gathered a little, gathered only what they needed. 
Those who went out every day into the desert to gather that manna gathered what they needed, and anything more they gathered, it spoiled. So Paul is reminding those in Corinth that their ancestors in faith had God provide just enough, not more, to amass for themselves. He's reminding them that if there is any excess, it is to be shared. And he reminds those Gentiles that even though it was not their ancestors by family tree, it was indeed their ancestors by faith who were fed in the desert by God. And it is now their opportunity to participate in the feeding of others in the same way. So Paul is trying to heal this division between followers of Christ by getting those Gentile believers to give and by getting those Jewish believers to receive. At first, the church in Jerusalem wouldn't accept the collection when Paul came to deliver it. There were a few there who were so self-righteous that they demanded he go through acts of purification in order to present this gift to them. But Paul believed so deeply in the power of God's grace that he was willing to undergo those rites of purification because he believed so deeply in the power of unity of one church worshiping one God. Giving as an expression of God's love for us and our love for this world, that is why Paul is talking about money. Paul believed that when we encounter God's grace, it is a gift for us to receive And then it is a gift for us to give to others. For Paul, our faith is not complete if we simply receive grace. It is complete when we extend that same grace to others. Paul's insistence that the flow of God's grace can be observed in this movement of money from one church to another offers a radical challenge to the conventional views of giving in that day. For Paul, it was a way to heal the divisions between the churches about inviting people to connect with God, to draw both the giver and the receiver into right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. I wish that Paul had been successful. He collected the money he needed, and he took that money to Jerusalem. I wish that it had been that simple that the division in the church would be healed, that they would have been in right relationship with God and with one another, and that would have been the end of the story. But alas, we who have read ahead in the book, we know that those who were self-righteous orchestrated Paul's arrest. But if we keep reading, we see that even while in prison, Paul continued to write to his churches, and he wrote to them of joy and peace, despite our circumstances. He remained a witness for love, for Christ, for Christ's love in us. He remained a witness even while in prison. And he shared this good news with the other prisoners and with those who were the jailers people who never would have otherwise encountered the good news of Christ. And so though Paul did not successfully heal that division, and though we are still experiencing division in the church today, we have a choice to make. 
Will we perpetuate our own sense of self-righteousness? Or will we allow ourselves to receive the grace of God, which invites us into joy and generosity? And will we embody that love of God in us, for us, and through us, so that we then give to others? I wonder if all of us were willing to not only receive grace, but to give grace, if indeed we would find that healing that Paul so desperately wanted to give everyone. Thanks be to God that this is Christ's work in us and for us and through us. Amen.